Ciao, ragazzi. Welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. I'm Frank Crivello, and uh, with me is meeting him face-to-face for the first time, believe it or not, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing tonight? Uh, what are we drinking? You're probably drinking something a little bit harder than I am. I'm drinking a little uh, coffee turn tonight. That mu- turn that mug around. The people need to see it. Come on now. <laughs> got naughty, a naughty nice mug. That is straight out of some kind of trinket shop. Your wife got you that, didn't she? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true it's so, true i'm not gonna deny it <laughs> yeah straight out of the straight out of the trinket shop me you know uh i don't know anybody at, at new Glarus brewing company but uh, enjoying a little spotted cow tonight so um don't make that joke again like you did last time i i'm holding back i'm holding back <laughs> good for you good for you let's keep things in good taste yes it's a historic moment here on the city i sit down richard and i are actually meeting face to face for the first time albeit over skype but um we are uh, recording video for the first time as what we hope to do is be able to take some of this, put it into clips, get it onto our YouTube channel, just ways to improve on the brand uh, that is already pretty damn good. Uh, Richard, this is pretty exciting. It is, it is. And a little, uh, I guess, preview of what we're trying to do for uh, some games going forward and maybe the Derby. We'll see. Uh, do some live games. That would be interesting to see and, uh, and do. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I got the Rat Pack hanging up behind me, as you can see. So even the guys that nobody knows. Um, <laughs> I got I got to look at their names. I, I know I know Sammy. I know Frank. I know Dean. But let's see. Oh, yeah. Peter Lawford and Joey Bishop. I guess kind of. Yeah, see, the guys behind me are a little bit more recognizable. Shevchenko and Batisuto, So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ordered my Ebra jersey, uh, so I'm going to be getting that pretty soon. And maybe on one of these uh, one of these video casts, I will be, uh, I'll be rocking that. So Nice, nice. Finally got around to doing that. So, oh man, uh, well, the uh, peninsula really didn't give, any, give us any shortage of talking points this week, did they? No, it did not. Uh, so many, so many talking points, so many goals. Uh, it was a fun weekend to uh, be part of. No doubt about that. Yep, absolutely. Forty goals. Uh, it's almost as if they uh, they knew we were going to do this via video, and they wanted to step it up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yep. So. Uh, so we're going to break down those 40 goals. We're going to start by batching these uh, these games and giving a recap of what went down. Um, we will also discuss a little bit of a uh, rumored takeover at Roma, uh, possibility of Milan maybe inching toward who their permanent manager will be in the 2020-2021 season. Uh, we'll talk about those uh, comments that Rocco Comiso made uh, about, uh, well, he has been say he. Somebody finally saying what we've been saying for a long, long time. Uh, and uh, we will preview the Milan Derby to wrap it all up. So uh, hang tight uh, or uh, wherever you're at, if you're listening in a car or if you're going to be watching this on YouTube or you're going to be watching the clips. Uh, hope you enjoy it. So, uh, But we're going to go ahead and break down what was in match week 22. Uh, everything started, Richard, on Saturday. Bologna taking on Brescia. Um, I've already bored Richard. He's walking away. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, is taking on Brescia, taking on Brescia, uh, at the Delata. It was, uh, a penalty in the 36th minute scored by Ernesto Torregrosa, uh, to put Brescia ahead by a goal to nil and put them in position for what would, what could be a valuable three points. All of that got canceled out in the 43rd minute. Ricardo Orsolini receiving a cross, uh, 
back to a defender, does a nice job using his, bo- using his body, turning and scoring from a very tight angle, equalizing at 1-1. For me, a goal of the week candidate. We'll see if it cracks the top five. Um, and Bologna just had Brescia under siege all game, Richard. Outshot them 20-3, to had 65% of the possession. Uh, pretty alarming that it was 1-1 until the 89th minute where Mattia Bani uh, was on the opposite end getting uh, the winner for the Rosso Blue. Mattia Bonnie's popping up and scoring some of those goals. Uh, yeah, in good for situations. him. So, yeah, got a good young good young player, promising young player on the rise, a Kievo refugee, uh, as we like to call them. Uh, so uh, giving Bologna the 2-1 win. Uh, moving on, in Sardinia, it was Cagliari and Parma playing to a 2-2 draw. Uh, Joao Pedro on a very nice near post run off, off a cross, uh, putting Cagliari ahead in the 19th minute. Um it would uh, be 1-1 through Jiraj Kuchka in the 42nd. Uh, and then uh, in the 53rd, Calgary's given a penalty, which Joao Pedro would miss. Uh, but just a minute later, Giovanni Simeone scores. Uh, and uh, really, I mean, talk about sacrificing your body. He goes knee first into the post. Yeah, that hurts. He's, and then Nandez pays no heed to this. He tackles the guy after he scores. Poor bastard scores a goal, <laughs> puts his team ahead. He's injured, and he's got his teammate piling on him. It's just like, you know, all right, no no regard for your body in any stretch of the imagination. So all good. Looks like Calgary was going to do what they normally do at home, getting three points uh, on the island. But cue the Soul Train music. Because Andreas Cornelius has scored again, and he scored at the death in the 94th minute for Parma uh, to get a 2-2 draw. Uh, there was a potential penalty involving Juraj Kuchka, uh, where they called a handball. I believe it was on a Cagliari defender. Uh, initially, they gave the penalty, but they went back and had a look at it and ruled that Kuchka fouled him. Uh, I can't even remember who the defender was, but nonetheless, uh, happy with. I was happy with the review. Didn't seem to have a problem with it. Do you recall that incident? Uh, only vaguely, but uh, I remember at the time when I saw it, it was uh, I thought it was a correct call. So I'm glad it didn't really mar the game. No, yeah, it was a good call. They got it right. So 2-2. Two, two, uh, and you're going to see a recurring theme with these teams in the top half of the table. It seems like nobody wanted the European places this week uh, <laughs> because uh, there was a lot of uh, tub thumping being played at the Mape, uh, where Sassuolo would run riot on Roma by four goals to two. I watched a good bit of this game, and uh, – you know, Sassuolo was every bit as clinical as the four goals would suggest. It was, uh, uh, I think, my cousin, Francesco Caputo, uh, <laughs> scoring in the seventh minute classic uh, counterattacking goal uh, to put the Nero Veri ahead. But it was his goal in the 16th minute. That was a stunning team counterattack on oh, a second beautiful. goal uh, to make it 2-0. Uh, goal of the week candidate just because of the team play. But we've seen this so much from Sassuolo this season. Yeah, they, they're they one of the few teams. I think there's maybe only one team that does it better than they do. Uh, the team goals that they provide week in and week out. I mean, w- the way Dejerbi has these guys playing, it's just so fun to watch. And you really hope this this partnership lasts for a long time because who knows the way they could they could go from here. Because if they can play consistent like this, oh, my goodness, they'd be making a run for the for European spots. But they're, unfortunately, a little too inconsistent for us. But, hey, they play beautiful, fun uh, football. So can't the neutrals love it. And the uh, misery for Roma would continue in the 26th minute. Uh, Berardi with another assist playing in this time. Filip Juricic. Juricic was terrific in this game. Oh, yeah, uh, gets a deserved goal. Makes it 3-0 for Sassuolo. Uh, that's what it would be at halftime. Roma try to 
get on the attack here and try to get something out of this match in the 55th minute. Uh, Aiden Jekka would score his 100th Roma goal. Congratulations to him. Bravo. Um, but uh, the joy would be short-lived as Lorenzo Pellegrini would commit a second bookable offense to get him sent off. Um, and uh, were you fine with uh, the double booking there for Pellegrini? Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. it was. Uh, he was a little too um, too rough in this game, and uh, he he, he should have known when the first yellow he had that he should have backed it off, and he didn't really. So it kind of stung himself in the foot right there. So, yep, I I'm with you there. Uh, so puts Roma down to ten men. They do get a penalty uh, to crawl back into this, make it three two. Jordan Veretout uh, getting that one, but then uh, boy, Jeremy Boga. Uh, this guy's got a bright future. And another goal of the week candidate just absolutely bangs one in the 74th minute to seal the three points for Sassuolo. Uh, 4-2. I, I said this to Sabrina and uh, Jerry uh, last month. I said, I just absolutely love that Sassuolo's goal music is tub thumping. I know. <laughs> um, just reminds me of uh, how drunk I was in my 20s <laughs> from back in that time. And so. it was great to hear on repeat in this game. They just goal after goal. And you just keep hearing the song. Oh, get knocked down. Yeah, could have just played it on a continu- could have just played it on a continuous loop. They so, could have. They could have. You know, because it because goals were just coming all over the place. But Sassuolo, a big win, four two. We're starting to slide a little bit. Got a win uh, at home here against Roma, and then uh, my last of the batch is one that the. Uh, everyone was talking about that uh, is a even a casual Calcio fan, Juventus and Fiorentina, a 3-0 win for the old lady at the J. Uh, Penaldo uh, in the 38th minute, uh, clear handball, no issue with the, uh, the VAR use there. That has been a consistent uh, call out uh, throughout the season, so uh, no problem there. However, uh, in the 80th minute, I think that's where the controversy lies, Ceccarini. Uh, getting in, using his body, getting first to the ball. Uh, Bentancourt clashes into him. Referee finds it to be a penalty. Um, so Penaldo steps in again and scores in the 80th minute. I mean, we're calling him that. He got two goals on penalties. So, you know, I mean, he had, and he had a reasonably decent game um, in this. But, uh, you know, he's <laughs> – I, I don't want to draw comparisons to Marco Borriello because clearly he's a little bit of a moniker, though. <laughs> well, Ronaldo has a, a phenomenal skill set and is obviously going to score a lot more creative goals than Borriello ever will. He's either a poacher or he's going to score on penalties. You know, Ronaldo's going to create his own goals and things like that. But a lot of these, you know, nineteen goals. How many of them are penalties now? Eleven. <laughs> is it eleven? No, 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 I don't know. It might as well be. It feels, it feels like feels, it. Yeah, it feels like it, but. Uh, I think that everybody was, and there was even some Juventus fans were saying, "Yeah, we got away with that one uh, on that second penalty." Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting because I kept going back and forth. What depending on which replay you saw, I my my reaction changed. So the initial reaction was it was a penalty. Uh, then you see another angle, and you're like, eh, "It's a dive." And then you look at another penalty, and I'm like, "Okay, maybe it was a penalty." And then. I think overall, as many of the angles I saw, I think I ultimately came to the conclusion that everybody else did that it was a dive by Benton Core. Um, a good good shoulder to shoulder contact, I think, by the defender Ceccarini and him, um, and he just went down like a, a sack of bricks. So, yeah, I can see why people are pissed off about it. Um, I mean, granted, if it was anybody else, it probably would turn a blind eye. But I guess since this happens more frequent than not, or at least appears to be, uh, I can see why the big uproar for sure. And uh, it does not help the fact that, you know, Fiorentino trying to get back in the game, and it was a pivotal play 
Yes, it was late in the game, but um, who knows if you know Fiorentina would have scored a goal had that not happened. So, um, yeah, when, when you're down two nothing to Juve, it's pretty much over at that point. Yeah, and really, you know, I thought the defending was fine. I don't. Yeah, I I've seen a lot worse get let go. Yeah. Um, you know, in that situation, and um, Matias Delic would get a third goal. I don't want to take away his moment. He scored uh, yeah, on a ball yeah. coming in from Dybala on a corner to, to seal. The three points, but at that point, it didn't matter. I mean, you know, a penalty and a decision like that can really suck the life out of a team and can, su- you know, can suck suck the life out of players individually in a game. Um, you know, so it was almost like once that second penalty was hit, it was pretty much playing out the stretch. It was going to be awfully difficult for Fiorentina to come back. Um, so it ends 3 0. Uh, but uh, this spills over after the game. A very angry Rocco Comiso, the new owner of Fiorentino. <laughs> Uh, Fiorentina, um, you know, stepping out and saying what we've been saying all along. Um, and there's a lot going on with this right now. And I think that, you know, you know, I, I, I don't want to sit here and say that Rocco Comiso spit in the wind, but he solicited a response from Pavel Nedved, you know, and I almost feel like does Pavel, you know, should Pavel Nedved really have to say anything? I mean, if you're the one that's winning, here's 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 the thing, you know. And this is com- coming from my family, who all practice law. You know, I'm I'm the uh, the black sheep. I, black I went into right. bit. Yeah, I went into business. Um, a big rule of thumb when you're in court and you're winning, you don't say you, you say as little as you can. If you're winning and you know you're winning, you say as little as you can. Does Pavel Nedved really need to say anything in response and really start a fight? you know, with the owner of Fiorentina. I don't think so. Um, number two, like I said, Comiso is saying what we've all been saying, but you know, we're doing podcasts for the English speaking audiences. We don't have a position of influence in Serie A. Okay. So now somebody in a position of influence in Serie A is stepping forward and saying something. Uh, and it's rattled the cages of at least Pavel Nedved, uh, if not anybody else, a little bit of a telenovela here for, uh, for all of us to follow. It was actually kind of fun. Yeah, that's a, the old Italian drama, isn't it? Um, yeah, Nevin really didn't have anything to say. I mean, he could take a page out of Patrick Waugh, for those who watch, uh, remember hockey. He used to say when people used to chat at him, he was like, I can't hear you with the rings in my ears. I mean, not, Nevin could say that, you know, as many trophies and titles that Juve has had, he could say that and you know, just walk away with it. But he, he, he took the bait. Um, and, and now it's, it's, it increases the melodrama or whatever the Italian drama, if you want, the, the novella. Uh, so more people are going to be paying attention now. Now he's got to be very careful what he says because um, though some of it may be true what he'll say, uh, people will look at it the opposite way and they'll maybe say that he's a, you know, a whiner or something. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm surprised Nedved, who's usually very astute, uh, came out and said something. So uh, maybe he's just enough is enough and he says, you know what, I'm just going to say something because I'm tired and sick of all this uh, constant complaining from everybody else. But. You know, Rocco Camiso is saying, like you said, what many of us have said in the past and continue to say. And so um, I think it's the first time that a uh, a big manager has said, uh, a big owner has said something uh, against Juve in a long time, really. I feel like it's probably gone back to like the, um, uh, the, the Zeman days, maybe when uh, the last time somebody really said something against Juventus. So. Oh, did Zeman, oh, by the way, Zeman, and wow, did he really endear himself to the, uh, yeah, to the female species? <laughs> oh my that's just that's just sick but anyway i i don't want to get off track um 
we can talk about Zayman here a little bit later on. Uh, but, you know, what I would like to see is people in broadcast positions, be it English speaking, be it Italian speaking, you know, regardless, to start stepping up and start saying things. I think there's just too much politeness going on with we all know it's wrong. Okay, the majority of us believe that Juventus get away with a lot more than everybody else. And I'll admit, you know, Milan have gotten away with some stuff in the past. All right. Napoli have gotten away with some calls in the past. Um, you know, and some of these other teams, you know, people consider and say, well, it's you, you talk about it with Juventus more because Juventus keep winning and it's just more amplified. No, it legitimately happens more frequently with Juventus. It's not because they're winning and it's more amplified. It legitimately happens a hell of a lot more frequently. Okay. I would like the English speaking experts or the ones that are paid to be experts to start calling this out. Okay. I'm tired of seeing the people that are in the lead positions. We put out a podcast. We've got a niche audience. We've got a niche crowd that follow us and support us. We've got Juventus fans that enjoy listening to us. Despite the fact that, you know, they've called us out for being anti-Juve, which we're not anti-Juve, okay? We have praised them and glorified them each year when they've won the title. We've praised them and glorified them when they got to the final of the Champions League. Okay? I appreciate you lumping, in me, lumping me in with you there. <laughs> well, you've I been just, saying, you, you've been saying have, the I same have. thing and you know it. So I don't, have, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I would just like, it would just be nice to, to listen to commentary that calls it like they see it, that calls it out and saying, that's not a penalty. There's no way there's a penalty. And say, Juventus is getting away with one, or Juventus got away with one. Nobody's going to have a problem with you if you say that, okay? Um, and they're getting more calls than the other teams, and they don't need it. Rocco Comiso is right. They've got the largest wage bill. They've got the most talented team up and down, okay? If they're fluffing it, and if they can't beat Fiorentina by more than one, don't give them an opportunity to to give them a second. You know, I just think that this is another example that's going a long way. And finally, we have an actual figure in that in a high leadership position. Fiorentina is a visible club that is finally ste- somebody's finally stepping out and say something. And you know, Rocco Comiso is my winner this week for that because it's about time somebody. <laughs> Stepped up and said something. Yeah, leave it to leave it to the new guy to do that, right? No, it's good. Hey, hey, good. Maybe the league needs that, right? Uh, someone to shake it up, uh, who's not stuck in their old ways. So uh, good for Rocco Camiso. He's done some other good stuff as well. But yeah, this is uh, this is obviously the topping the cake for that. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm glad you know it's nice to hear someone say that. And I agree with you. You know, nothing wrong. With, you know, their own fans coming out and say you know when things don't go uh, when things are called wrong to say you know to say so um uh and i'll put a little devil's advocate here because i someone and i don't remember who it is and i apologize uh they sent a tweet and it wasn't necessarily to me but i was involved in the conversation how they said that uh lazio is actually getting more penalties this year than juventus which i was like oh that's interesting um but anyway that's beside the point um it would be um nice i mean because we've seen other we've seen other uh fan bases do this um Granted, they're not in Juventus's position, top of the table year in year out. So, uh, yeah, well, it's uh, it's certainly a uh, a talking point 
for all all sides in this one, including Juventus. Sure. I am looking up right now uh, the statistics on penalties received because that's actually an interesting uh, – it's an interesting topic of discussion, if my screen would move. And uh, that person is correct. Lazio have received 13 penalties. There you go. Uh, and have scored 10. Juventus have received 8, scored 8. Okay, so, and Juventus is actually fifth. Wow. Okay. But it's not just the penalties. It's the bookings. You know, it's the red cards. It's some of the stuff that's reviewed that gets a little bit shady. All right? Um. Roma are actually second. They've received nine penalties. Uh, and then it's Atalanta and Lecce and Juve all have eight. So tied, Juve's tied for third, um, we, could, we could say. And we can sit here and, and, and bitch and moan about it as much as we want. As Milan fans, they've only received four <laughs> this season. So uh, I'm looking up how many goals Ronaldo has scored from the penalty this season, and it looks like it's one, two, three, four, five, eight. six, seven, eight. Is it eight? Well, if, if, if they're eight for eight, he took all the penalties, didn't he? Unless there's one that he didn't take. Yeah, maybe one he didn't take, who knows. But yeah, it's uh, it's up there. It's a lot. Okay. Well, there you go. So I think it's, it's you know, Lazio might be receiving the penalties, but the way they attack and the way they play and the way they go at people, uh, and with two dynamic forwards like Immobile and Caicedo, they're going to they're gonna get fouled a lot with the way they run. Um, I think Juventus is get it's more amplified. Because, you know, and it happens more frequently, they kind of get more of the dubious ones. They kind of get more of the questionable ones. You know, Lazio might have received 13 penalties, but of all of the ones that I'm trying to think about, they were just, just about all of them were obvious. I don't think you can point to one with Lazio and say that's that one was iffy. Or, you know, they're getting I think, I, I think there was one a couple of weeks back that I remember I called out uh, Immobile, but that's the only one I remember. Um, I the dive, yes. Yeah, this dive. Okay. Um, but I know, like, yeah, when the dubious ones, it always seems to show up in the Juventus games, it seems like. Um, yeah. Maybe that's because there's more eyes on it. I don't know. Uh, but I know a couple weeks back, uh, people were questioning Dybala, and I thought that was a legit penalty. Um, but yeah, when plays like this, when the Benton core happen, when it's borderline or even you know outright uh, you know dive or whatever, and it always seems to go in their favor. You know, Again, it could be just uh, appearance, uh, you know, not being necessarily Juventus fans, but hey, uh, that's, a, that's what many people see, and uh, that's why Rocco Camuso came out and, and said what he said. Let's get away from the penalty discussion now because I think we've said enough. Like I said, I, ultimately, I want to just start seeing the pundits yeah. call it out more instead of trying to be polite about it or trying to say, no, there's not a problem or you know, trying to carry it out like this is, a, you know, you know, this is part of the game, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'd like to get some people in there that are going to actually speak out and say, you know, check it and you defended well. That's, that's a shameful call, you know. They yeah. do it in the Premier League. You hear it from the pundits in the Premier League all the time. Um, you know, so I'd like to start seeing that happen a little bit more often when it does because we're all watching the same game uh, and we all have different different opinions and it's and it's okay to disagree with what you see on the pitch or you, to disagree with a referee's decision. You're not betraying, you know, the trust of the league or the trust of the FIGC or Lega Calcio if you do that. So anyway, um, Juventus, let's start with them. Uh, since they're at the top, uh, they win. They, you know, before we get into the batch of your games, Richard, uh, 54 points, still got a three point lead over Inter. You'll talk about Inter's game here shortly. Uh, one thing that's jump, one guy that's jumping out to me, the return of Douglas Costa started this game, uh, didn't shoot, 
at all, uh, but still had his influence, got some crosses off, uh, you know, had a little bit of a role in this game. A guy that, you know, he got substituted, and I think Dybala came in for him, but a guy that's getting his legs under him, when he's at his best, it's scary to think what he can be in a Maurizio Sarri team. Absolutely, and I think this is kind of one of it's going to be a, a sorry guy. We kind of already saw early in the season uh, before his injury, and so um, he's going to be instrumental for Juventus. I think going down the stretch, and especially if they can get this guy uh, back to all cylinders, you know, by the time Champions League comes around, he's going to be the their Mr. X because you know all eyes are going to be on Ronaldo and, and then Dybala, but. Douglas Costa, he can impact games when he's on. I mean, he is on. He can he can go around defenders. He has obviously the pace. He can score goals. He can assist. He does it all. Um, he the, the the big rap with him is that he's been very inconsistent, you know, thirty years. But he is like the perfect player for Maurizio Sarri's system, and I think uh, Sarri will use him to great advantage. Um, come down the stretch here, both in, not only in Serie A to try to wrap up another title, but also in uh, in the Champions League and and as they as they try to progress towards uh, the the elusive title there. So Douglas Costa, absolutely a fantastic player, and uh, he's going to thrive in the system. Yep, for sure. Um, another player that I think deserves coming now. I mean, and not just because you know we, we talked obviously about you know, the situation that he was involved in on the penalty. But another player that I think uh, really deserves some praise for his, pl- for his play of late is Rodrigo Bentancourt. Um, you know, penalty incident notwithstanding, uh, pretty influential on the pitch, drew some fouls, uh, got in and won some key balls, uh, you know, seems to provide a little bit of energy, maybe makes uh, Pjanic's job easy, uh, you know, sitting in front of the back four. Uh, but a, a player that I'm finding uh, to be getting better and better under Saudi as well. Yeah, and if you if you you know if you're watching you know Juventus Twitter, um, they they'll they'll have their differences about the Ligt, uh, Matuidi, Rabiot. But the one thing they're always consistent on is Bentancourt and how much they love him. He just seems to be a big game player for them. The right you know the perfect player for that system really, other than Douglas Costa. Uh, he's great in the midfield there. He provides offensive spark when he needs it. Um, he'll get in the box to score goals, but he'll, he'll get beautiful assists as well. And um, he controls the game so well, and uh, he's really developing very nicely uh, in this uh, under Maurizio Sarri. Uh, you know, there was always a lot of hype with him. You know, coming when they first signed him, but he's finally starting to come come to fruition. You know, he's he he has such good chemistry with Ronaldo as well. So, uh, yeah, he he's a very good player. And uh, as the season goes on, who knows? He may be in you know in our. Um, uh, Top eleven, so you know we'll see. But he's uh, he's he's doing very very well this season, and uh, I look for big bigger things coming to him going forward. Roma could have thought Fonalas was back there on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, my goodness, and also uh, Olsen, right? Yeah, wow. Jeez. But I mean, I think that's far more of a product. I mean, Sassuolo's goals were all legit. Um, yeah. Just the team play, the way they just carved him up. Uh, you know. Up until then, I think Romo had only conceded seven goals away in, yeah, in the league. Yeah, they get four this game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So exactly. it's just, uh, you know, on the one on the one end, you want to say, okay, maybe just a bad day overall. But boy, they just got absolutely blitzed within the first twenty six minutes. Found themselves three 0 down, and they just looked like they had no answer. It looked like <clears throat> the partnership that Mancini and Smalling has been establishing throughout the season. It looked like they never played together before when they were out there. Yeah, I mean, Sassuolo carves. There's not many teams that Sassuolo does not carve up, but this frequent is is very, you know, almost rare. You want to say, uh, especially a, team, a good team like Roma, 
Caputo got the goal scoring early, uh, and they were just hot. I mean, they were clinical. They were hot. They, they killed them on those counters. I mean, you know, three nothing within the first twenty six minutes. That's amazing. Uh, let alone against anybody in Serie A, but to, against Roma. So, yeah, it just wasn't wasn't the day for Roma at all. And um, you know, Sassuolo are such a fun team to watch. You kind of want to wish you see Sassuolo against Atalanta every day because you probably get ten goal games. So, <laughs> still conceding goals though. I mean, we talked about Sassuolo. Yeah. We said fun you know bad. they're they're fun bad. You know yeah. they're gonna. They're going to attack. They're going to score a bunch. They've got quality going forward, but they're they're a freak show defensively as well. So, um, you know, fortunately for them, they just held up enough, uh, you know, to hang on and win this game. Because I just was trying to take a look and see, you know, they lost. Roma lost at Juve in the Copa three one. But yeah, you look at them on the road. Uh, prior to that, they had been solid. So, um, you know, this was, uh, you know, definitely a setback. And when you take a look at all of the games, uh, Romo, on another day, probably should beat Sassuolo and probably would be still yeah. sitting in fourth. Yeah. Uh, but they just, you know, got torn apart. Um, but that uh, att- attack trio of Boga, Caputo, and uh, Berardi, uh, you know, Sassuolo is not going to threaten for a European place anytime soon, although they're six points out of six. They're sitting in 13th. But they are six points out of six. Um, but when you look at those 22 games, they scored 36 goals so far, but they've conceded 37, as we <laughs> said, fun bad. But, man, that front three uh, of Boga, Caputo, and Berardi, they are clicking. Um, and uh, they have uh, really made themselves dangerous. And they're going to be a pain in the ass for all of the teams that are still trying to find a place in Europe next season. Yeah, you can even throw in Jurchic in there as well. I mean, yeah. it's really fun attacking uh Trident or, or Quadrant, if you want to say. Uh, they're so good. They, they know each other so well. Uh, and it's amazing because Caputo, this is only first season with, first season with the club. So um, the way the fact that he can jump in so so fast with them and, and get on the scoring is, is amazing. And Jeremy Boga is really flour, uh, flourishing under Desherby right now. I mean, he was good before, but, I mean, this year he's just got another confidence and his goals are just amazingly uh, fast and accurate and uh, I mean, pinpoint a- a- accuracy with this guy. I mean, he is just really great. I'd love to see Sassuolo keep a hold of him. It's going to be very hard as a low knee, but um, you know, keeping up performances like this, uh, other teams might start calling for Jeremy Boga, uh, unfortunately for them. Uh, but yeah, uh, this team, if the, the way they're playing right now, this, the, this front three or front four, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, going down the stretch uh, could be... Um, it will be the reason why they're not going to be any kind of relegation talk because these guys can score goals at least. And yeah, they give it up, but they'll, they'll score goals and get some wins like they did uh, this weekend against Roma. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, another one in form is Manuel Locatelli uh, in the midfield oh, for them. Yeah, yeah. He's been terrific of late. Uh, and uh, Jeremy Toljan coming forward down the right, Kyriakopoulos coming forward down the left. Uh, boy, they can they can come after you. Roberto Dizerbi's got these guys playing some pretty attractive ball. Uh, right now, um, the Caledi Parma game, and then uh, you know the curious case of the teams who don't want the European places with the way the results went this week. Um, add them to the list. Add both of these teams to the list. Um, you know, I I find this to be a dropped three points for Caledi, uh, but uh, that man Sepe again, six big saves. Uh, you know, when Parma get their points, you know. In certain cases, and in games like this, they're getting it because Sepe is pulling some saves out of his out of his backside, and um, you know 
Parma have just enough going forward that if they can hang on and they can stay in games, they can find ways to get one uh, here and there. And they, they got one here in the end with Cornelius. Um, you know, these two teams seem like they're still around, and I, they're in part because the teams around them or the teams that should be jumping them can't seem to come up with the points. You know, so Calgary's still sixth, Parma's still seventh. Uh, a 2-2 draw here. Uh, Calgary's probably going to look at it as two points drop. They should. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about these teams because they're still in it with a shout to try to find their way into Europe next season. Yeah, both clubs uh, really doing surprisingly well this year. Obviously, Cagliari got off to the hearts, the, the, the awesome start this year, uh, and they were, you know, the Champions League spot for the longest time. Uh, they're still right on the cusp of it, uh, and Parma as well. You know, they're doing so well. With, they have, you know, the front three that they have with Kulishevsky, Jervinho, and um, you know, depending who you can have, Cornelius or or whomever, insert whomever you want. Those two other players are really fantastic for them and so fast. Yeah, they're just fun to watch both these teams and. Um, you know, Kuchka really has become uh, become the leader of this team for Parma. Him and Bruno, uh, Bruno Alves, and uh, they're really just you know coming up with big games, big performances. You know, whether it's you know free kick goals, um, just goals and regular and and free play, whatever, uh, and coming up with big plays defensively as well. So you know, it's surprising or not surprising. I guess you're right. Kuchka has always been a, a good player, but uh, he's kind of really stepping up with Parma and taking a leadership role with that club and. Um, you know, having a guy like Cornelius, you know, a big body that he can uh, get some goals there and put some goals. Uh, he he's coming up big for them down the stretch here, especially without without Gervinho there. Um, and then you know, Cagliari, while they've been struggling a little bit late as of uh, at home over the last month or so, they're still getting results, and that's the big thing. Because I think if they had lost this game, it'd be a different story. But you know, in the last couple of games they kind of rebounded here a little bit. You know, yes, they should have won this game, uh, last minute goal uh, given up, but. They got to take pride in that they at least get you know played well for most of this game and uh, hopefully they can build on that going forward because um, it's fun to see Cagliari you know towards the top end of the table and you know we know how good they are at home and they also good, pretty good away so um, not fun teams to play against both these clubs uh, with the, the amount of uh, their midfielders are really uh, hard nosed and tough on opponents and so it's never fun to play against. Yeah, I mean, and the the thing with Cagliari that I think is going to do them in this season and probably keep them outside the European places, or if it's anything, um, they just they've done well at every position except the center of their defense. Yeah. Um, you know, Fabio Pisacane and and Ragnar Klaban as a combination back there, that might be the worst combination of center backs in the league this season. That, or at least in the top half of the league. Yeah, you know, yeah. whatever Spall throws out there now is going to just be terrible by default with everybody they got rid of. Yeah. Um, when you look at Parma, uh, oh, Yasmin Kurtic has got to be thrilled as hell to get out of Spall, speaking of which. <laughs> uh, and he provided the assist for Cornelius. Uh, and again, they're finding guys in obscure places in this Gaston, Brug- Gaston Brugman that came in. Uh, and protected the back four, won some tackles, got an assist, assisted Kuchka's goal. So got forward uh, a guy that's on loan from Pescara, 27 years of age, so not a guy that is going to light up the transfer market or anything like that. But you know, provided uh, you know, provided him, proved himself to be a serviceable guy, and uh, you know, put in a shift here. Um, but Parma's finding this in obscure places, and I think that that's why they've been successful. I mean, they don't have the scouting department that Atalante have. Clearly, they don't. Yeah. Uh, but they're finding ways to get pieces. I mean, they brought in when they brought in Kulishevsky. Um, 
you know, and he's obviously going to move on to bigger and better things when he goes to Juve. Uh, you know, Brugman they're bringing in here on loan. Uh, you know, some of the guys that they, they've recruited well and they've found guys to fit, getting Kurtich, getting Cornelius, you know, getting Hernani and getting these guys. They, they buy smart and they piece a team together and they buy guys who, you know, can fit the roles that they need in the system that they play. Uh, you know, and they found a way to get a point here again. Absolutely, and so uh, I'm, I'm looking. To, I'm looking forward to see what both these two teams can do going forward. Uh, you know, hopefully they can continue uh, the the good play that they have. Uh, you know, sew it up defensively. Defense is going to be the, obviously the key, like you just mentioned. But um, if they can uh, at least get that situated, uh, they'll be uh, they'll be in the top ten for the remainder of the season. I think for sure. Yep. Uh, Bologna's win did come at a cost. Uh, Nicolas Sansoni is going to be out for a month. Uh, from the yeah. looks of it, he uh, was subbed off, I believe, 12 minutes into this game. Uh, hamstring problem. Uh, grade one strain. This is per grade one strain. Per, this is per Football Italia. Uh, so, uh, but this is why they got into the transfer window and they brought in guys like Barrow and they brought in some of these reinforcements. Now, Barrow's skill set is definitely much different from Sansone's. He's relied on to be a striker, but he has... I wouldn't say he's a guy that's going to be creative or he's going to beat people with moves. He's going to beat people with pace. He's going to be, be, beat people with power, you know, to create his own chance or to finish the play by finding, you know, whether it's a Palacio or whether sliding the ball across to an Orsolini or a Soriano. Um, but, uh, you know, Sansoni, pretty good passer, good technical skill set to him. Um, you know, so a third of that, playmaking trio is is out of the mix here for a month how much do you think that impacts Mihailovic's men it's gonna be a big impact I think because he is a he is a player in the midfield and we've talked about it all year where Sansone it's 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 so fun that the reason they're doing so well is because he's in the midfield and and uh, any kind of scoring opportunities they get more than likely it's either from Orsolini or Sansone so not having him not having that option there to kind of like spread the ball around is gonna hurt them someone else is gonna have to step up on that team but um, until he gets back, uh, it's going to be kind of like um, patching, doing patchwork and, and trying to figure out ways just to get any kind of goals. Maybe you have to really rely on your poacher in Palacio. For sure. Um, and Brescia, Toto Grosso getting the goal, uh, but we know who they are at this point. I mean, it's a relegation fight for for them from here on out. Yeah. Four points from safety. Uh Got to find you find a way up one nil. You got to find a way to protect it. But I mean, and this is a game that you know had it not been for Yurinen, um Bologna score about five or six in this game. So uh, that's how important he was, uh, you know, in keeping a minute. You know, so we talk about Sandro Tonali, uh, Ernesto Torregrosa is making a name for himself. But uh, I got to think Yurinen's going to find a job in Serie A if Brescia go down, isn't he? Oh, he certainly is. Uh, absolutely, it'd be crazy not to sign him. Yep. So, so those are my four. Uh, how about uh, your six? Yeah, so we're gonna <laughs> thanks hey, a little bit more games, right? Um, but I'm not complaining because there are lots of goals in these six. Uh, starting off with Atalanta hosting Genoa, uh, scoring started early. Toloi off a corner uh, would get a, a header in there on the 13th minute. Uh, that lead would not last long in the 19th minute. A penalty for Genoa. Uh, Domenico Crescito would step up. He would score this time, unlike last week. Uh, silly, one. silly foul, by the way. It was, it was terribly it was silly. Stupid. Where was the, the attacker? Wasn't going to go anywhere. 
No. You know, if that touch was going to go outside the penalty area into the corner. I mean, it just, just, I can't remember the defender that did it, but it just, yeah, I thought I'd jump in. Poor foul. It drives, it drives you mad as a manager when you get situations like that, you know? Sure, sure. You, you, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like Musacchio dressed for Atalanta or something. I mean, and he had to play for, <laughs> he had to play for Milan because Chiara, the Chiara and half the team had the flu. Yeah. Uh, but, but no, I mean, just, I, I, I watched that play and I was like, what the hell are you doing even going to ground? Just let him let him take his touch and then take you know take him over to the corner flag. Yeah, so 1-1 uh, at that point uh in the 33rd minute goal of the week candidate Sanabria with a thumper yep. um, gives Genoa the lead 2 to 1 uh but that would not last at all. Uh Joseph Bilicic will equalize, make it 2-2 in the 35th minute going to halftime that scoreline. Here everyone's thinking they're going to score 10 goals in this game and that would be the last goal of the game. Uh, 2-2 would be the final. There would be a casualty in this. Uh, Barami would pick up a red card um, in the... I lost what, what minute it was, but he got a red card. Um, 82nd minute he got second, a yeah, second, second yellow. yellow. Second yellow, so um, he gets a red and uh, didn't really hurt Genoa that much. Uh, but yeah, 2-2. Uh, I think uh, two points dropped for Atalanta for sure. Uh, but uh, they're going to rue that. Hopefully that doesn't come back to bite them uh, down, the, down the line. So yep. uh, moving on, Lazio uh, hosting Spal. And as you, you kind of alluded to, Spal kind of released a bunch of players. Uh, they sold, sold them to all over the place because they knew they're going to get dropped. Uh, Lazio made them pay for that as well. Uh, what, a, what a goal fest this was. Uh, Chiro Immobile in the third minute. Uh, great goal to make it 1-0. Uh, Felipe, Felipe Caicedo uh, in the 16th minute. Uh, he would make it 2-0. Uh, and the 29th minute, goal of the week candidate, Chiro Immobile uh, dancing around the defender, dancing around the goalie, and then just passing, shooting it over everybody else. Gets it in the goal off the post. Uh, makes it 3-0 in the 29th minute. Felipe Caicedo, goal of the week candidate, uh, give and go between him and uh, Immobile, uh, makes it 4 nothing going into halftime. Uh, coming out of the half, uh, new man Adenkanye, uh, he would make it 5 nothing, uh, and then uh, a consolation goal by Simone Miserale uh, in the 65th minute, 5-1, to one, Lazio thumps ball. Uh, moving on, Milan hosting uh, Hellas Verona. Uh, it would be the road, the, the guess, I would say, uh, starting to score by David De Faroni uh, in the 13th minute, kind of uh, Musacchio looking at his Twitter account or something like that, uh, allowing Faroni to get the shot open like that. Uh, it's 1-0, Hellas Verona's on the road, but then Hakan Chalanolu with a goal of the week candidate on a free kick, goal in the 29th minute, uh, makes it 1-1. Um, other than that, Amra, the really big storyline, Amrabat would pick up a red card, a pretty nasty foul on uh, Samuel Castillejo. Uh, could have broken his leg with how high he put his leg. Yeah. And, and uh, he was very remorseful after he did it, but still, it's a dangerous play and a deserving red, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he knew he he, he knew it was coming. If you know, Once the referee said, okay, I got to go have a yeah. look at this, he said, yeah, yeah I'm fucked. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Just give me the red now. I mean, I'm, you're, yeah, I, I got him. I got him. I didn't mean to get him, but I know you're going to send me off. I mean, the referee, and I, I went to Twitter and I said it. I said the referee followed the rule exactly in that situation once he, you know, once he saw the infraction and said it should be a red. <laughs> uh, going into the shock of the weekend, uh, Lecce hosting Torino, and I think maybe Atalanta dressed up in Lecce gear because uh, final score four nothing. Uh, you would think a red card be in this game, but there was not. Uh, scoring started in the 11th minute. Alessandro Deola with a goal of the week candidate. Uh, but then in the 19th minute, they would double their lead. Antonin Barak with a goal of the week candidate there. Um, Where's he been? Holy cow. 
I know, right? He popped up Even on the score sheet. Yeah, he popped up on the score sheet, and I'm like, where the hell have you been? <laughs> supposed to be this up-and-coming kid that was playing for uh, Udinese. Yeah. So, hey, all right. Well, he, he's he's with Lecce, and he scored. Good for him. Good for them. Yeah, up 2 nothing at halftime coming out of the break. Uh, Felipe Falco with a goal of the week candidate. I mean, Lecce was just pumping him in this weekend. Uh, in the 64th minute, make it 3 nothing. And then to add insult to injury, Gianluca Lapadula in the 78th minute with a penalty for nothing. Torino gets spanked by Lecce. Uh, no one saw that coming. Uh, going to uh, Udinese hosting Inter. Uh, this would be really a tale of the second half. Romelu Lukaku with a, a, a wonderful goal. Uh, one-on-one against the uh, the defender. Gets through his legs. Pass the goalkeeper. Makes it one nothing in the 64th minute. And then uh, to round things out in the 71st minute, Romelu Lukaku with a penalty gets his second goal of the game. Uh, they win 2 nothing. And then on a Monday night, uh, really the one of the one of the fun games of the weekend to watch um, is Sampdoria hosted Napoli. Uh, scoring started early. Uh, it was fireworks early, literally uh, on the pitch as uh, uh, Arkadiusz Milik scores his goal, a header in the third minute. Um, wonderful goal, wonderful play there by Napoli. Uh, they would double the lead in the 16th minute. Uh, Elmas with the goal, make it two nothing. Looks like when Napoli is going to start to pull away. Um, old man Fabio Quarella, he just loves playing against Napoli. Uh, scores another worldie uh, in the 26th minute, a sensational volley, <laughs> one-time volley. Um, he, this is what he does, uh, as uh, as Sharma says uh, online, uh, King King Quarella. So two uh, one at that point, they're going to halftime by that score line. When that ball uh, was coming to him, I was like, he's scoring this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's, there's 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 no other result here. This is Quadrella. It's at home. It's against Napoli, and these are the kinds of goals he scores. Uh yeah, and Ferrero, seeing his reactions, it's always fun to watch his reaction there. So, uh, two to one at halftime. Uh, coming out of the break, uh, Sampdoria had some opportunities, uh, including you know Gabidini getting uh, robbed by the by Arduro, and then uh, Gaston Ramirez hitting the post. I mean, they came close a couple times, but they would. Um, after a goal gets taken away a little bit or a little bit later in the game, Manolo Gabadini would get a goal uh, from the penalty spot after Qualiarella was taken down in the box. Um, that play, uh, how do you feel about that about that penalty call? Because I didn't know, I didn't think it was a penalty. Watching the replay, uh, did you think it was? Yeah, Manolas got him. Um, okay. He got him, uh, and I don't know. They, <laughs> I don't know if they had their own. I think it was after the fact. I think when Lenetti upended Monolos later in the game and got a yellow card. And I, I think that was a little bit more accidental. Lenetti was trying to get out of the way and Monolos was getting in the air for a header. This is one where Monolos was going through, missed the ball, got Qualiarella's back foot um, and brought him down. Uh, so as you know, once the referee decided to go to VAR and you had a closer look at it, you had to had to imagine that a penalty was coming. Um you know, and then Qualiarella uh, gets injured uh, on the play. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious. I don't think we know anything as of yet. Yeah. So, and then Gabbiadini got to take the penalty, which won me a good chunk of money on DraftKings today because <laughs> I had him, I had him as my captain in the showdown game. And if Qualiarella was fit to stay on and take that penalty, uh, I wouldn't be not be winning any money. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a hint of luck. But anyway, um, uh, so yeah, I. I I thought I thought the penalty was uh, justified there. It was a good use of VAR. 
Okay, okay. I only saw the play in live, and I didn't get to see the replay, so I just, I just know what I saw when I, when I was watching it live. So 2-2 at that point. It looked like we were going to have a shock in our hands in terms, at least, of Napoli uh, possibly blowing, uh, blowing some uh, two points there. But uh, new man Diego Deme in the 83rd minute would get a goal. Um, the defender for Sampdoria blocks it, but it uh, goes right to Deme, and Deme finds an empty net with Arduro out of the net. Uh, makes it 3-2, and then add insult to injury. Uh, Dries Mertens gets on the pitch in the 98th minute, would score a goal, makes it 4-2, Napoli win on the road. Uh, they're feeling hot right now under Gattuso. Uh, two big wins last week, and they got a good win this weekend. First of all, Diego Deme channels his inner Michael Jordan, uh, <laughs> comes on with the flu and scores the winner. Uh, so. yeah, that's right. Big game player, I guess, right? I yeah, guess why not? <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and and, and Mertens, uh, t- I mean, it was a it was a wide open goal. Audero was trying to come out, and he was trying to play a headed pass, and I don't know, you know, he mishit it or or what, but it fell just kindly to Mertens, and Mertens scored. But I think this brings up a topic about Napoli because I think the thing that we've been clamoring about for weeks is that how do you not have a place for Dries Mertens in this team? Yeah. You know, I mean, if if the whole process is you need to figure out how to move on from him, figure that out in the summer. Okay, this is a guy that knows how to score goals in this league. And right now, you know, you have Jose Callejon on in the past under Ancelotti and prior to that, Sarri. You have Jose Callejon on because part of his role is that he could take set pieces and he can take corners. Well, you got Mario Rui doing a lot of that now. So what's Callejon's value to this 11 right now Um, where Mertens can be a goal scorer in that front three? can run a little bit higher than Callejon seems to be running uh, and, and create a whole new dynamic, can take a little bit of pressure off of Milik, can take a little bit of pressure off of Insigne, um, can ask the right back Husai to stay home and sit because all he's going to do is get in the way of anything that Maritans is going to do. So, you know, so I think that that's an interesting question and I would certainly love to have that chat with guys like Ken and Robin. So is it time for Gattuso to make that switch because for me that's the glaring switch that needs to be made with this Napoli team yet. Um, they'll get Koulibaly back here at some, you know, he was on the bench. So the back four will be solidified. Um, they won't run, you know, so that's going to be a positive for them. But that's just the one piece that I think still needs to happen. I think that Merton should be playing regularly. I think they need to get out of the politics of where he's going to go next season. And if they want to do something, uh, you know, and reach one of the European places for next season. He needs to be out there, and it might be time to tell Callihan, "Hey, we're going to need you to take a seat here. Uh, we need, we need, I need yeah. a goal scorer out there. I've got set piece guys out there already. You know, Insigne can take them. Really can take them. I don't know what your value is to this to this four three three at the moment. Yeah, exactly. We can almost agree that Mertens is probably the best player on their team. Um, on most days, and so you need to find him. You need to get a way to find him on the pitch, and, and so he can get some goals like he did here. Um, if you want, if you really want to have your know, aspirations to get back into the not only the European spots, but maybe even the Champions League. You know, if you go on a run, uh, you need to have Dries Mertens out there, and, and you know you got a big Champions League coming up ahead. So get him hot and get him going. So maybe uh, Napoli can pull some uh, some big wins here uh, going forward. So um, looking at over at the Sampdoria side, um, you know, really you were just talking about Husai. Husai really is the one that kind of fell, slipped and fell and, and led to Qualiarello's goal. Um, Sampdoria, they're, they're starting to get some, some legs underneath them under uh, Ranieri now. Uh, they're, they're starting to score some goals. Yeah, they're giving up goals. They gave up four in this game, but uh, they've played a lot better over the last recent weeks and, uh, 
it's uh it's a good sign because we for so long they were just looking abysmal through uh, the first part of the season yeah um you know, I think that there's some fight. I mean, I think that Sampdoria, we talked about them last week. They're extremely disappointed. We're talking about Sampdoria, right? Yeah. Okay. Because um, I'm already jumping ahead to the next topic. <laughs> I was just looking that up. I wanted to have that ready. But anyway, um, you know, I think they were extremely disappointing last week. They had an opportunity to take advantage of 10-man Sassuolo and, and didn't. Uh, I think they certainly played with more fight in this game. Uh, I watched a good bit of this one. Uh, I thought Ekdal was solid for them in the midfield. He did get a yellow. I thought, you know, it wasn't one of Linetti's better games. Um, You know, Ramirez seemed to be playing a little bit more inspired than he did in the previous week. Um, You know, so they had a lot of that going for them. They got Qualiterella on the score sheet, which they need if they're going to get out of any kind of relegation fight. Um, Right now they're still somewhat mired in it, even though they're four points clear from the drop. Um and they need Gabbiadini to score too. So all of those elements are important. And uh, they moved on from Caprati. Caprati went to Parma uh, at the deadline. So it's those two guys and it's Bonazzoli off the bench who, who came in and had an appearance in this game. So the, the, the strikers are there is the service there with them now. And, you know, when Ramirez is inspired – this Sampdoria team has a chance to be a real problem for people. But that's the question. Is he always, is he always inspired? No. And he can be wildly inconsistent in his play. Um, Yankto was out there, and it provides another element. He's a strong left-footed player. If you put him on the left-hand side, let him pump crosses to two targets. Uh, you know that's another that's another approach you can take. Linetti, we talked about. So the pieces are there for them to be better than 16th. Um, you know, on the other side, the defending gets very weak. It's a team that has not figured out how to move on from Joachim Anderson, who left for Lyon. Uh, I think we're learning how much they miss him. Uh, you know, Audero can be absolutely brilliant on some days and deserve an Italian national team call-up, and on other days he doesn't deserve to have a job at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like he's all over the place. And, I mean, the yeah. the header was just one of those that you just can't help but laugh at. Um, you know, goalkeepers trying to use that kind of skill that far out and, and – once he missed it and once it felt to then this game's over. So, you know, so they've got they've got some pieces. They're just not consistent enough at the moment, and that's what's keeping them in 16th instead of maybe being in a position of maybe 11th or 12th, which they're good enough to get to by the end of this season. It's a question of can they put it together and make it work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, making it, talking about a team that doesn't uh, needs to find a way to make it work because they haven't done it lately. Uh, Inter on the road uh, found it very difficult against Udinese. Um, for a majority of the game, many of their fans were wondering, hey, this is uh, the same old, same old team that can't find a way to win it. We're going to, you know, get pulled away by Juventus here because we're not getting results. And then luckily for them, Lukaku steps up in the 64th minute and scored a big goal for them. But um, they found it difficult against Udinese. And uh, Udinese at home are always difficult. Um, they had a good good amount of possession in this one. Um, the shot, They had a lot of shots, not, not many on target. But um, Udinese made it tough for Inter. Was this more about Udinese playing well or does Inter caught in one of their ruts, their January ruts of every year? <laughs> I think with Inter, you have a little bit of adaptation. First of all, they they made a lot. They brought in they brought in what Victor Moses, Christian Eriksen, Ashley Young. Um, so it's almost like they're working with a new team again. 
Uh, they're playing without Lataro, who's suspended, um, which I, you know, have a problem with Lataro only getting a two-game ban and Balotelli getting a three-game ban for pretty much the same reasons. Um, you know, I mean, but that's FIGC and that's Lega Calcio. I mean, are we shocked? Um, so, uh, you know, I think that they're trying to break in some new parts and they're, they're doing it against some teams where they can afford to, an Udinese team that have given a lot of people problems here in the last several weeks uh, under Luca Gotti, uh, but that well might be drying up after losing last week at Parma and now losing here at home to Inter. Uh, and then, but anytime you've got a guy like Romelu Lukaku who can score goals in any kind of situation, uh, you're always going to have a chance, especially if you can keep the other team out. And that's what they did. And Nudanese kept themselves out to your point, 16 shots, just one on target. Um, you know, Inter had eight shots on target in this game too. So let's, you know, so they produced some quality chances when they had the ball and they had a little more of the ball. Musso was good in this game, uh, with six good saves. Um, but then, you know, this isn't the strongest 11 that Inter can put out at the same time, too. So yeah. to go on the road to Udinese, to go to Friuli and come away with a 2-0 win is pretty impressive, um, considering what trotted out there. Esposito started, 17 years old. Um, not an ideal situation. No way he starts the derby next weekend. Uh, I'd be stunned if uh, if Conte does that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's... Um, they found a way to get a win, and I mean, I think that uh, when it comes to Antonio Conte teams, they're not always going to be pretty, but yeah. they're going to sit. They're going to set out to get three points, no matter, and they're going to be fine with it, no matter how they get it. They're they're not married to playing beautiful football. They're they're all about business. They're all about putting their head down and finding a way to get three points, and that's what they did here. Not too dissimilar from from Allegri, who's the same way. Who just you know doesn't have to play beautiful; just has to get the wins. That's all that matters. Absolutely. Um, who has? And I'm curious now that you you mentioned about Musso. Who has more saves this season, Musso or or Sepe? They, both those goaltenders face a lot of shots this year. Oh, let me pull it up. I mean, it seems like each of those guys. Each I want to say Sepe. Five, yeah, I did too. They both get like five to seven a game, and Sepe's getting a lot lately. Does that sort? It's actually uh, Berisha for Spall, okay. 104. Wow. I believe that. Getting, yeah. Getting shelled all the time. Give it five goals a game, so, yeah. Right. Sirigu, 97. Sepe, 95. Gabriel, 88. Musso, 87. So, yeah, I mean, they're in the top. Joran in 86. I mean, Spall, Torino, Parma, Lecce, Udinese, five teams that get shelled. Brescia, six teams that get shelled. So, uh, and then it's Drogovsky at 75, Aldero 74, Donnarumma 72, Skorupski 72, Strakosha 69, and that's your top 11. So, yeah. So what the hell happened to Torino this weekend? What the Four hell is, goals against Lecce. What the hell has happened to him the last two weeks? Oh, well, yeah. I mean... I, I, but Sadi can't have the job after, to, after this weekend. No, they already okay. said they're going to sack him. Good. Yeah. I mean... After those uh, two performances. I don't know what direction they're going, but they said they're going to sack them. I mean, they've given up in uh, the last three games. Okay, they, they, they shut out Bologna 1-0 back on January 12th. Since then, uh, they have conceded 17 goals in four games. They lost 2-1 at Sassuolo, 7-0 at home to Torino, 4-2 at Milan in the Copa, and then 4-0 to Lecce. So, 
Man. That's, I mean, outscored 17-2 to two over the last three games. And we're talking about guys like Salvatore Sidigu, who's supposed to be one of the best keepers in Serie A. Nicholas Nkolo, who was fantastic last season. Yeah. Um, they didn't have Itzo in this game. I mean, there's pieces on this Torino team that can defend. And the way that a Torino, a Torino should be built with the personnel that they have, okay, those should be your strengths. Keep teams out for as long as you can. And then you've got the creativity going forward, and you've got the finisher in Belotti. You know, to win a lot of games 1-0, okay, or 2-1 if you have to. Um, so for me, it's astonishing when that when those defenders and when that goalkeeper gets short of form, you know, <laughs> throw everything out the window with them. They'll be just a complete disaster because that's part of the equation for Torino to be successful is they rely on those players to be able to keep people out, to put Belotti in position, to put – uh, you know, if it's Verde or if it's Falke or if it's Zaza, uh, you know, whoever's out there in position to help them win games. And it's falling apart. And when you see giving up 17, goal or 15, 17 goals in the space of four games, 15 in the last three, that's that further speaks that I th- they just they just quit on Mazzari. I think once they lost to yeah. Milan in the Copa, you know, they were, in, they were in DGAF mode and were going to be that way until the new manager steps onto the pitch for them or, or uh, hits the touchline for them. So, um, but you and I talked about this, you know, Matsadi's a guy that'll wear out his welcome and yep. uh, you know, he's worn out his welcome here. Yeah. We, we can't say we didn't see that. We see it right on the wall. We saw that going into the season that it was going to happen. You know, he wears out his welcome usually in the second season and uh, it seems to have found uh found Torino at this point. And yeah, I mean, DGAF mood. I mean, yeah. I mean, seven nothing to Atalanta probably put this nail in the coffin for him, and this as insult to injury. Now, granted, the goals that Lecce scored were really fantastic, you know. So it's uh, it's very rare they're going to do that, but um, part of that is Torino not playing well. So sure, um, yeah. Um, Hellas and Hellas and Milan kind of what we expected, really. I mean, I think Milan got away with with the with the two points or one point gain because really Hellas was putting a lot of pressure on Milan in this one. Um, we knew it was going to be tight in this game because, you know, Hellas do not give up many goals this season. We've talked about how they're always one of the leaders in terms of defensive uh, defensive uh, capabilities. Um, but, you know, Chalanolo again coming up big for Milan and scoring a goal, uh, this time from a set piece. He's gotten pretty hot in the last, game, in the last couple games, what, four goals in the last three games or something like that. So um, I guess it's the right time for him because uh, it looked like he was maybe going to lose his position in, on the on the pitch. This, I mean, had it not been for that free kick, Milan lose this game. I mean, and it's an obvious thing to say because it was one-one, but it was all Hellas for this game. I mean, they had Donnarumma came up big, yeah, Bruce came up big. But the game flipped when Amrabat got the red. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and Amrabat was one of the better players on the pitch too. Yeah, you know, so it was a pity when it happened. Um, you know, I think that you know there was a number of us that got together and were having a chat about how Milan should approach the game. You know, with Benesser having to sit out because he had the accumulation, um, you know, who the midfield should be, what they should do, how they should tactically set up. And I just I raised the argument and I said, uh, you know, I don't think Verona is a team that you can go through. You have to go around them. Um, yeah. And Milan, when they got the man advantage, still just tried to go through them and they stayed stubborn. There wasn't a whole lot of getting balls end line and cutting balls back. Uh, you know, and trying to generate dangerous chances based off of that. And when you're playing a man up, you know, it's, you're ta- and you're tactically set up in that 4-4-2, you 
by default have two v one advantages on the flank against you know probably a three four two or a three five one or some kind of setup like that. You know, Lazovic is a great technician, not somebody that scares me defensively. Um, would have liked to have seen, but but you start Calabria, and I think the flu bug hit Milan, so guys like Conti and and I think Kiar and Krunic and Ibra were all out sick. I almost all of the almost all of them were out sick, but you know that the, the flu swept through the team. So a number Why of these. Why get sick? What's that? Why couldn't Mazaki get sick? I know. <laughs> so. Although Musacchio wasn't bad, and, and, and actually, I should correct you. I don't know, Musacchio, it was uh, Calabria allowing the cross, and then Teo got beat on the oh, okay. on the Faraone goal. Um, so, but on the left-hand side, you had the combination of Jack and Teo against Faraone. On the right-hand side, you have Samu and Calabria against Lazovic, and then that became Samu and uh, Salamakers yep. uh, against Lazovic, and we just should have been using that advantage with regularity, and they didn't. Uh, they kept coming back into the middle to Hakan. They tried to find they tried to find Leao at his feet, which for me is comical. Leao is not at this stage of his career a guy that you can play as a target. Um, you know that's going to have the strength or going to have the power to hold balls, and it was clearly obvious there. I mean, yeah. they flooded Leao out in this game. Verona they did a really nice job with him. You know, Rebic is going to move all over the place and he's going to play with range. Leao is a guy that needs to get free and needs to get spaces and be able to run at people, and there was nowhere for him to run. Um, you know, so you have to credit Juric and Verona for that, uh, you know, to set up that way to make the game hard for Leao. Um, but I think that if Milan could have played with more width, could have done more combination play on the flanks, could have probably pulled these guys a little bit and and produced some easier chances. Instead, they just lived with shooting from distance, trying to force some things through two, three defenders at a time, you know, and, and it, and they suffered as a result. I mean, 26 shots and only five on target with a man up is not, is just not excusable. Uh, 12 off target and nine blocked, which tells you everything you need to know. They forced things when they had the man advantage, uh, instead of just trying to find ways to unlock what was in front of them. You know, and some of that's inexperience. You had a lot of young guys out there trying to figure it out. But um, credit Verona for going on the road, being stubborn, you know, outplaying Milan for stretches when it wasn't when they were at even numbers. But then once they got to a man down, they made the game hard for Milan. They forced Milan to play a predictable game and Milan didn't find the resources or didn't take what was available to them to create some better chances. Oh, 100 percent. And. Uh, that's a good swagger because you said uh, outplaying in Lazio is what they did is to outplay Spa with a tune of five one win and it's really the Immobile and Caicedo show in this one in particular Immobile uh, it continues to be hot this season uh, uh, he's up to what is he up to twenty six goals now or something like that twenty five goals uh, first player in Europe in the top five leagues to score uh, twenty five goals this season uh, he is just on fire um, only nine away from the from the record held by Iguain. Uh, we'll see, but uh, the current pace that he's on, uh, he is going to break that sooner than later. And he's going uh, sma- to smash it. He's going to smash. I he, hope he does. He's on pace for forty-five goals. Wow! Wow! That's um, the Immobile tracker. He needs to stay on fire because there's a there's a certain guy in Juventus catching up to him um, slowly. Uh, but yeah, it, this uh, Lazio just continue to put goals in, and it's fun to see them. Fun to watch him play as a neutral because uh, they they just make it look fun, make it look easy, and they could just score goals uh, left and right. And 
Immobile and Caicedo just doing their thing. Do you know I picked him for Capo Caneniedi? Oh, did you? Did you? Yeah. Oh, I think that's that's a good time to tell the folks now, huh? I think that's been mentioned once or twice. <laughs> I think it was kind of funny. Martino Puccio, because we were – I can't remember what we were talking about because – oh, because it was at the same time at the Milan game. And I think Martino was just fed up with something I was talking about. And he said, you know what? You're you're better when you talk about Chiro Immobile scoring goals. He has two goals, so let's get the tweet out already. <laughs> <laughs> They know you, Frank. Yeah, they know, they know me too well, don't they? <laughs> so, you know, it's a it, there's a ruthlessness that they're playing with, you know. And and crazy thing is, is that you know, Luis Alberto, Sergey, Lucas, they had their they had their moments and they played they played well, but um, a lot of this was direct combinations between Caicedo and Immobile. you know. Exactly. And uh, usually, you see some involvement, whether it's Lazzari, whether it's Sergey, whether it's Luis Alberto, and I uh, uh, on the fifth goal, I'm trying to remember on the one for Adekanye. Um, I'm trying to. I, I think it was. Was it Sergey that slid uh, Lazzari in? I, uh, I think it was actually. I that think was, it actually was. That was a nice little uh, slide pass to play uh, Lazzari in, and then Adekanye. And how about that? I mean, you're just a forward for Lazio. All you got to do is get on the pitch, and you're going to score. You know, at yeah. the rate that they're going. Um, 52 goals uh, through 21 games. Um, Immobile have scored 25. I mean, the only one after the, the only one ahead of them is Atalanta at 59. So, um, but I think the impressive thing with Lazio also is what we've knocked them for in the past. They're defending. Uh, they're conceding less than a goal a game. Um, you know, players like Acerbi and goalkeeping from Strakosha is just as instrumental for Lazio's success here. Uh, so, you know, Immobile is getting it done on the front end. The midfield has been playing fantastic. They're in a position where they can sustain this for the rest of the season because they've got nothing else to play for. So we need to seriously consider Lazio a thing uh, for this title. We keep saying it week after week, and some people are saying Lazio are going to drop off. Lazio are going to drop up. We've been saying this for weeks, okay? They are the third team. They're going to the Champions League, okay, season. And... Um, and they are every bit in this, especially because they have a win over Juventus. Okay, they know how to beat. They know how to beat the champ. So, and they're destroying the lower level teams, which Atalanta aren't doing. Yeah, Atalanta are letting the relegation teams stay in the league. They lose to Spal. They tie Genoa. Okay, Lazio are burying these teams. That's the difference between the two, and that's why there's a ten point gap between Lazio and Atalanta, with Lazio having a game in hand. I think that that Copitalia win uh, last season really is. You know, ever since then, they've really become really ruthless, like you said, and clinical, and they they finish teams off. I mean, last year they would get a you know one or two goal lead and kind of let the other teams back in it. This year they're just pounding goals left and right, and uh, it's fun to watch because you just see goals and goals. And it, it, another thing that helps the defense is when you're scoring goals. The more time you're in the opposition's end, is less chance they're going to score on you. So um, lots of just doing it on both ends and all ends of the on all facets of the game, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, to your point, I mean, it's it, they, they're a joy to watch. Um, you know, they're they're among the teams that you want to watch if you're a neutral. Atalanta being another one. Uh, the entertaining ball that they play, Sassuolo. You know, just they're they're all playing entertaining football. You look forward to watching these games when they happen. So, uh, you know, good for them and, and and doing this with a style and and Simone Inzaghi having a a system, believing in it, and finding the guys that can fit, and it's really working out well. And uh, 
yeah, they're 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 in this. Uh, I think Lazio's in this to the end because they've given me no reason to suggest they're going to drop off anytime soon. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's one hundred percent true. And um, a team that I don't think is going to be dropping off, but they kind of dropped off in this one it was Atalanta and Genoa. Uh, Atalanta, I was full expecting to walk away with another five goals in this game, and it looked like early on at least there would be a lot of goals in this game. Uh, but they kind of let Genoa into this game, and then after that, uh, it was just. They couldn't get any more. Genoa did enough defensively to keep Atalanta uh, from pulling away and really getting a win in this one. And you got to give a lot of credit to Genoa in this one for uh, keeping Atalanta at bay. Not many teams can say they did that. Yeah, and um, Atalanta outshot Genoa twenty-four to eleven. Uh, and then I think uh, Perrin had I'm trying to see the number of saves he had in this game. Six saves for Perrin, so he's been a big help for Genoa. Yeah. Ever since returning, that was something that needed to be sorting out, sorted out. Radu was having his trouble play problems playing in goal this season, so that position solidified, which will be a big help um, for uh, for for Genoa going forward. So, uh, you know, Crescito getting the penalty, Sanabria scoring. I think where it's going, where, where the problems are going to be for Genoa here. Um, you know, even though they got two here at Atalanta. You know, just 23 goals so far uh, through their 22 games, and they've conceded 43. Now, the defending is going to get a little bit better here. The goalkeeping is going to help that along a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't get any easier for them. They host Cagliari. Uh, they go to Bologna. They host Lazio. They go to Milan. Uh, and then they host Parma. So that is a tough five stretch of five games, you know, against five teams that are all in the top 11. Um, so... I'm having a hard time finding the win here, you know, but I see a shock somewhere, maybe Parma. Okay. But it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a pretty, pretty painful stretch. They got to figure out how to score goals. Um, you know, they, you know, they've, you know, the two here against Atalanta, which included a penalty, um, but shut out against Fiorentina, only one against Roma, only one against Verona, only one against 10 man Torino. So, you know, they're, you know, shut out against the Inter, shut out against Sampdoria in the, in the Derby. Uh, they beat Sassuolo 2-1, but Sassuolo were down to 10 men. Right. So, you know, you're taking a look at all this, you know, and I think that that's the number one thing. And where are the goals coming from? So it's, uh, it's going to be an issue for them going forward. They can't just have Crescito taking penalties every game. They're going to have to figure out exactly. how to get it from other sources. <laughs> uh, that they do. But it is Davide Nicola. He's done this before, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Goals of the week. Let's see if we got any in common because there's there's been there's a bunch of good ones. I think we're I think one and two we're gonna be we're gonna have in common. It's just a matter of where we've got what we've got one and what we've got two. But uh, I'm curious to hear what you got. Well, unfortunately for me, I uh, decided to do the goals of the week before today's action because uh, that would have changed my, my opinion on the top five. <laughs> but I'll do the top five that I had before tonight's game, uh, and then I'll put a caveat at the end. Uh, my, my number five was Caicedo's second goal, uh, and then number four for me, Falco, uh, his goal, Lecce's goal against uh, Torino. Number three, Caputo's uh, second goal, his team goal, were eight passes involved in that goal. 
Uh, number two was Jeremy Boga, uh, his sensational right-footed strike. And then number one for me was Chiro Immobile, his second goal, uh, just dancing around everybody on the team and, and scoring a goal. But my new number one is, for obvious reasons, Qualiarella with a th- wonderful goal uh, against uh, Napoli, as he always does, it seems like. Um, so that's my top six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you had yours, you had yours figured out, and you had no, you, you had to know. Qualiarella was hosting Napoli. You I had to, didn't. You, I should have saw that. Coming. You never have that top five. So that's probably why he scored because yeah, yeah Richard Richard's got his top five. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have him uh, put in some work here. So oh. all right, well, you know, once again, I'm gonna give some shout outs to some goalkeepers. Uh, you know, Musso. Uh, keeping Udinese in it with six saves, Pat in with six saves to preserve the point for uh, Genoa. Um, you know, a big game from Joronin, uh, despite the fact that Brescia lost. So some goalkeeping uh, was out there and uh, was pretty good. So I want to make sure that uh, we recognize the goalkeepers for how they perform. Um, but uh, my goals of the week, I'm going to go with that team goal with Caputo in at number five uh, that uh, really, you know, furthered setting the tone for Sassuolo. Uh, number four, I'm going with Falco. Uh, just a brilliant goal, uh, you know, from distance there for uh, for Lecce. And with the way they performed against it, you know, you got to get a Lecce goal in there. Um, I'm going to go with Caicedo's uh, second goal um, in the 38th minute. The uh, combination between him and Immobile uh, gets third for me. Cuadrell uh, is number two for me. Uh, what a goal! And I think maybe because we're 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 used to it, so. <laughs> We're not used to Immobile uh, getting into a uh, a getting into a uh, a dance number <laughs> with an entire defense and with a goalkeeper, and yeah. it just looks like it was. You know, I mean, almost almost choreographed, uh, you know, in scoring the way he did. So uh, you know, and he's my Capocannonieri pick. I've got to put him number one. So Jiri Immobile, goal of the week. No arguing there. Uh, winner and loser. I already told you my winner is Rocco Comiso for finally a a figure stepping up and. You know, you know, calling out some of the stuff that goes on with referee decisions, especially as they pertain to Juventus. Um, we're going to get a lot of uh, uh, interested uh, Juventus parties wanting to have a chat with us or wanting to uh, have a go, at, at least have a go at me on Twitter. Uh, but um, it's nice that uh, somebody in a high position actually stepped up and said something. Uh, loser for me this week, uh you know, Walter Mazzotti, uh, dead man walking and uh, looks like looks like out for sure. Uh, you know, reports at least Football Italia is saying that they plan to sack him. Uh, it doesn't look like they have uh, or maybe they have and it's just being kept under wraps. But nonetheless, there's no way he should survive what's been going on here in the last couple of weeks over with the Granata. So that's my winner and loser. Uh, I got a couple for each. Um so winners, um, I'm gonna go Lecce winning four nothing, big win. There, you know, their seasons on the line. They're they're in, obviously in the relegation uh, fight, and those are three huge points uh, against Torino. Yep. Uh, those three points see them vault above Genoa by three points. So that's a nice little cushion they have there. Uh, so big wins for them. They're they're a winner for me. And Sassuolo first victory against Roma. Um, at you know four goals, four to two. No one saw that coming. Uh, fantastic performance by that front four, really. Uh, you know, putting four goals up, three goals in the first half. Uh, just, it just fun to watch. Uh, losers of the week, Spal. You know, obviously after really 
anyone who's any kind of a decent player on the team they got rid of uh, during the transfer window. Uh, then they come back and they stink up the joint 5-1 against Lazio. And then obviously, for obvious reasons, Mazzari and Torino, uh, that four-goal shellac. And really, this is the last month. They're just the big losers of the last month, uh, getting shellac left and right by everybody and their mother. So those are my winners and losers. There you go. Your winners and losers, your goals of the week, go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Let's wrap this up with a little news. Okay, well, let's start with Roma here, Richard. It looks like uh, there's going to be a possible takeover here. Uh, there are talks right now that the Friedkin Group are in a 780 million euro takeover with uh, Jimmy Palato, who's ready to sell the club. Um, a formal deal not yet agreed. Uh, the Friedkin Group is a Texas-based consortium run by U.S. billionaire Dan Friedkin. Um, what does this mean for Roma? A lot of balls in the air with them right now. Uh, a stadium being built, uh, you know, which obviously we know the perks of being able to own your own stadium. Um, just uh, what does this mean for uh, for someone like Friedkin to come in and take over Roma? You know, for a, for Jimmy Pelota, who had an immense passion uh, for owning this club. Yeah, well, it shows that uh, if someone's coming in, he's obviously interested. That means it's a good product. And Friedkin's not going to jump in and uh, take over anybody. He they, uh, There was rumors that he was trying to take over Milan as well, and it was turned down or whatever. But he's obviously trying to get into the game. He's obviously must have some kind of passion for Italian game that he's really trying to get into the league. Um, this will be good for Roma if, you know, if, the, if this becomes uh, uh, this comes finalized and maybe he can really inject some that much-needed money. Uh, much of the stadium that they need, and maybe they can really uh, help push Roma that one step up further to kind of really uh, contend with the big boys in the league. Um, they're right now in the Champions League, just just on the on the cusp of that. But you know, really, they want to be challenged for Scudettos and, and more. So uh, maybe Friedkin's the guy with the money from this guy from Houston uh, to come in and um, really get them where they want to be. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a group, Friedkin and his group. There, you know, their, their value is something like four point one billion dollars or something like that. So they got the yeah. money. That's great things for Roma. I mean, they can maybe start signing big time players here uh, going forward. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what can happen. It sucks that you know Palotta's got to go, but or is leaving. But um, I mean, Friedkin really wanted in, and so someone's going to have to accept that amount of money. And I guess uh, Palotta was. <laughs> It looks like, uh, and this is from footballitalia.com, that figure between 750 and 780, including the 272 million, dollar, uh, 272 million euro debt that Roma currently has, as well as a capital increase of 130 million. Yeah. Um, it, Pelota, by selling, would have a 100 million euro profit. It's not a bad chunk of change. I could, too bad. I could use it. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, so those are some of the figures that are running around, and then uh, Freed can certainly can can finance the club between some of the other things that they're involved in, including having the one of the world's largest largest uh, Toyota distributorships. Uh, so uh, the the resources are definitely there to be able to have the money to fund the club. You know, it looks like that one has more potential than Bernard Arnold taking over Milan, but. What does it say? I mean, it, 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 it feels like, you know, we talk about the performances on the pitch with the team, but I think that 
I, I, I welcome a sale like this and I welcome an investment group like this, even though it means another team that, uh, that my favorite team is going to have to contend with as far as fighting for players and, you know, having the money and having the resources, but you know, how positive is this now for, for Serie A that investors are now looking at these clubs and saying, yeah, I, I want a piece of what's going on over here. It's, it's very important. It's, it's a big step in trying to get back into the top of the, top of the summit, right? Um, and we kind of talked about this when, they, when Juventus signed Ronaldo, that Juve, uh, Serie A is going to start attracting big names, whether it's you know, players and or people with money. Uh, and it looks like a lot of investors are coming into the league. They're seeing that the, the, the product needs some help, needs some injection. Obviously, all these stadiums need upgrades and stuff like that. Uh, but a lot of these teams are indebted like, uh, like Roma. They, they're obviously $270 million in debt. So um, investors are finding that there's a, a market there outside of Italy for fans to come watch, and, and they, they, there's money there as well, television uh, money, especially with ESPN um, showing the rights here in the United States. So uh, it's great to see because that, that's only good things for Serie A. That means that uh, more attention is going to be drawn into the league, which means hopefully more television, more money. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm just excited. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a return, hopefully, for Serie A back to where they belong uh, at the top of all the leagues. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, with what's been going on on the pitch and some of the teams, the attractive football that they're playing, it's, you know, this is where you have to give credit for Juventus to be shrewd in signing a player like Cristiano Ronaldo to elevate the attraction of this league, you know, and some of, some of, some of this is you wonder where would this league be if a player of that man's stature doesn't come over to Serie A maybe stuff like this isn't, isn't particularly possible, you know, so some of the steps that have been taken over the last few years, certainly. And then if this happens, uh, you know, certainly a positive sign, you know, the, the Arnault rumors have gone away. Doesn't mean that you know they won't come back, but they have gone away. Yeah. But it, you know, at least being linked to Milan, and then now you have the Friedkin Group with Roma, um, says a lot about how attractive these clubs are now. So, uh, so we'll see, you know, what the future holds as far as interest with uh, with other clubs down the line. Um, all right, so. Uh, Another news piece that came up that's at least worth discussing because there's at least enough sources reporting it. We'll see if this really has legs because the man himself has, you know, denied any context. But Ralph Rangnick, did I pronounce that right? I think so. Okay. Uh, rumored to be in discussions with AC Milan to be their next manager and sporting director. Uh, you know, coming over to Milan to wearing two hats. Now, you have the Bundesliga background, uh, so tell us a little bit about Rangnick, and if this really does happen, what does he bring to the table? Yeah, so the rumor now is is that uh, he would be, uh, starting the summer, would be uh, taken over as head coach and uh, sporting director, um, and as no, it would be taken over Boban's spot, not Maldini. Maldini is a technical director. Um, what does this mean for the club now? In terms of the being the head coach of the club, uh, it's not much in there. He's an okay manager. Uh, his his stops. He's been at Hoffenheim, Schalke, uh, RB Leipzig, and some other places. So in terms of manager, while he does play like attractive football, he hasn't necessarily had great results as a manager. Now as a sporting director, is really where he's kind of blossom. Um, he's kind of created Hoffenheim to where they are right now. He's obviously where RB Leipzig is at the moment. He, it's, he's basically the mastermind behind all that um kind of developing youth players it's it, 
he's he develops teams very very well especially young players uh and so this would be a fantastic uh uh play by Milan if they were to get this uh to get Ranić uh because he would be developing the youth again once again and Milan used to be known for you know their youth system and and bringing up players through the system like Maldini obviously came through the system like that and and, and other players um so uh this would help tremendously in that regards and i think uh he has a he knows what he wants in in in, in terms of um of his teams how they look and it's attractive fun playing and and building through the team through the youth system um it'd be big it'd be really great to see uh for not only Italian soccer but always for us as Milan fans um and he's he's a big fan of Arrigo Saki he's mentioned this in the past where he said that you know he used to run out his VHS tapes just watching over and over plays of Milan's tactics Arrigo Saki's tactics uh so he's obviously some familiar familiarity there in terms of the club and um that's kind of where his tactics kind of he kind of built it from. It's nowhere near Saki in terms of tactics, but building teams and uh, really uh, building the youth is kind of where he got that from. Okay, I'm not comfortable with, and I and I draw the American football reference. I'm not comfortable with appointing someone to have two hats like this. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be a temporary yeah. one. He's done this in the past where he's been a temporary one at, at Leipzig, and then eventually they got a new manager, which they should. It shouldn't be him. Because I think you – I mean, it's, 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 it's already – when you're a manager, you already have a huge responsibility, yeah. and you're already working, what, 15, 16-hour days, uh, you know, preparing training sessions, preparing your team for games, and now he's got to do that. And in addition, he's got to figure out recruiting players. He's got to report and work with his scouts – you know, backroom staff and things like that. That's just a lot for one person to manage. And I think it ta- it's it's a much bigger undertaking, you know, for a, for a Calcio manager to do and have two roles than it would be for an American, you know, for an American football. And I don't want to undermine, you know, those that have done it in the National Football League or anything like that. But I just, I don't know if I would like Milan taking that direction. Get a sporting director, get a coach. And... You know, two separate people for 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 each responsibility, and uh, that's that's where I'd see. That's what I would want to see. So, and we'll see. Maybe he comes in and he has the right he has the right mind frame and he has this thing set up, um, and Milan flourishes as a result. And and to your point, maybe he, you know, keeps the manager seat warm until he gets the project up and running, and then he brings in a guy that maybe has his characteristics or something similar, and that guy comes in and gets it you know, and takes it from there. So, um, on the surface, I'm not comfortable with it. A lot of it has to do with it. I'm not as familiar with Rangnick as you are, but you never know. So, um, all right. Uh, we'll finish up with the Derby, uh, except, uh, before we get to that, uh, all I'll just say is that, uh, uh, Zednik Zaman is a garbage human being. So what we need to say about that, right? Yeah. We don't need to go into what we what he talked about. Saying yeah, I saw his comments, and yeah, that's not uh, that's not cool. That's yeah. not cool, man. Okay, lost a lot that's, of cool points with me. That's about as much time as we've got for him. <laughs> so, all right, the Derby, Milan Derby. So, <laughs> we've seen this movie, haven't we? Milan are unbeat, going on, are on an unbeaten run heading into the Derby. Inter look like they're sputtering. They've got a key player suspended. They've got their goalkeeper injured. So Inter's going to win, right? Yeah, probably like three nothing. Because <laughs> that's exactly what happened last year. Milan oh. were in the ascendancy, and Inter were struggling, and then Inter win the Derby three two. I think, obviously, if 
the players are over their flu problems. This is obviously a different Milan than the one that played against Verona. You got Ibra out there. You get, if there's a role for Kroonich, Banisar will be back. You got to think Conti will be back. Where I think Inter have the advantages on the flanks because yeah. in that 3-5-2, they do have dynamic players at the right wing back and the left wing back position for as good as Conti and Teo are going forward. Their liabilities defensively, it's it's hard to get around. I mean, Teo, I think all of the goals and I think all of what he does going forward masks some some problems in the back that got exposed against Verona on that goal. Um, you know, Conti, while he's gotten better, you know, is he is he ready for the uh, occasion of the derby? You know, and you always got to wonder about that with a young player. Um, so. I think that that's where Inter have the advantage. Where Milan have the advantage uh, in this game is Ibrahimovic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and what he is going to have Inter try to guard against, uh, which should open things a little bit more for Leal than than it did in the game against Verona. Um, should open some things for the midfield. Um, so that's where he, that's where they've got the advantage. I think that both defenses are good. I think Padelli, if he starts, he he start and got the clean sheet for Inter, so it's that kind of that break in game for him ahead of the derby. Uh, he can if he's serviceable, that might be just all right with Inter. This is going to come down to who can win, who can control the midfield, like most games typically do. I think both teams can argue two good central defenses. Uh, I think both teams can argue two good attacks. It's what's going to go on in that midfield is where I think it's going to make the difference. They've got Erickson in the, in more of a Trequartista role, so Inter looks more like a 3-4-1-2 with him in it, with Brozovic and Berella behind him. That's the way they went against Udinese. Probably going to see something similar to, the, similar to that against Milan, which are going to keep Benacer and Kessie at home. So can the guys who play wide in Milan's 4-4-2 put enough pressure uh, on that back line for Inter, uh, you know, and carve out some chances. And I think that those are going to be the games within the game. I, I'm i too cowardly to pick a winner in this. I'm going to say it's 1-1. Okay. Okay. Uh, some other players to look out for. I'm curious to see Liao against uh, uh, Inter. He made his debut against Inter uh, in the first go-around, and he looked very good. Uh, gave Godin fits in the beginning. Um, I'm curious to see how Casillejo does as well against, uh, against Inter. But... Yeah. I think Inter, despite the form, so we saw this in the first the first go around. Yeah. Um, I think Inter are the stronger squad, and obviously they have been throughout the season. Lukaku is a beast of a player, um, and it's going to be hard for Romagnoli and whomever he's paired with uh, to to guard him. Um, it helps that Arturo Martinez is not in the game, but they have other weapons, like you said, Christian Eriksen, Barella, so on and so forth, and Brozovic pulling the strings of everything. So. I, I, I like Inter in this one. Um, I mean, if Ibra is back and you got all the complement of uh, guys who are out sick uh, are back in the lineup, it'll be a lot closer for sure. Um, so I'm going to err on the side of caution and say that all those guys are going to be back, and I'm going to say Inter win 2-1. to one. Do you think Conte goes for it and just says, screw it, I'm just going to put Esposito out there, or do you think that... Uh... No, I don't think he starts it with it. I think he'll put him in the game, especially if things are going well. Uh, but I think it's too big of a, the stakes are too big. Uh, one, you want to keep pace with Juventus, but two, it's a big derby, it's a big match. Uh, you don't want to put a youngster out there like that because 
Um, it could do more harm than good uh, to have him out there. So he's been he's very good. Seems like he has a lot of confidence. But uh, you want to bring him on as a sub, not start a game like that. So, so we could think. see we could see something in the neighborhood of a three six one. You know, although it's going to be th- yeah. it's going to be three four two a uh, three four two one. You know, where maybe Erickson doesn't necessarily play. He has some help. Uh, in between those those four players and, and and where Lukaku is, you know, if it's if it's Brozovic that pushes up, or the other thing is, is a three five one one where Erickson just plays behind Lukaku. Um, you could see that happening too. Uh, it'll be very interesting. And then you have a midfield three of a combination of Berella, Brozovic, and Vecino. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm curious to see how Conte approaches this without Lataro. Um, and if he's going to want to try to give some protection for Pedelli, you could very well see, or you could see a Vecino, uh, Brozovic midfield, um, and they may take their chances. They may put somebody out of position and have them link up with Lukaku. It, it's going to be interesting. It's going to come down whatever Conti does, and if they can carry it out, uh, is going to be very telling in what happens in this game. Vecino was dangerous in the first game uh, this season, and I think he's going to be a big man in the second game here. Okay. Um, because I think some of it is is that some of it's a system of protecting Pedelli, but I think that with that midfield, they're going to want to get to Benacer, yeah, and put him under some pressure, yeah. Uh, so you're going to be wa- we're going to be watching for that. It's 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 going to be a fascinating game just because of you know some of the limitations that Conte is going to have in his team selection without Lataro and potentially without Handanovic. Um. Handanovic may be back. It's, that's not been totally uh, decided yet. But uh, I'm going to say 1-1. I can't get there. I, 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 I don't want to predict a Derby win for Inter, you know, but I also don't know if Milan can win it. So I usually get one, these wrong, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, so I'm hoping I'm wrong with the draw that Milan win the game. So, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that covers it. Yeah. Let's, let's put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit-Down. First time recording on a video. Anything you want to plug, Richard? Um, yeah, uh, bef- I have the uh, top five is on the Syria sit down um, yep. uh, YouTube page. It's minus Qualiarella. Uh, go out there and enjoy it as well. Uh, and then yeah, just, just subscribe to that page. And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, you can just follow me pretty much anywhere on social media at r underscore k h a r m a n. Awesome. I'm at FTC underscore 21. Serie sit down. We have our own channel on Apple Podcasts. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, just about anywhere podcasts are played. You can find Serie sit down. Um, we have our own YouTube channel, as Richard alluded to. You might find clips of this podcast played there. We're going to try to uh, – this is kind of the guinea pig, and you know we might uh, live record during a game down the road you never know what we're going to come up with but uh, we're going to try to get some uh, some more mileage out of the Serie A sit down channel on YouTube so uh, get over there and subscribe and you'll get up you know give us likes on the videos and uh, you'll get uh, updates on uh, when we put out a new video mainly Richard puts out the videos I've got to do one uh, not doing a whole lot of writing lately but if uh, you Milan fans want a little bit of a scouting report on Alexis Salamakers there is a thread in my feed at FTC underscore 21, breaking down what he did. And I think we saw glimpses of that scouting report in action when he came on as a substitute. Final ball was kind of ugly, but nonetheless. Um, So uh, 
We're also on Instagram. We're on Twitter at Syria Sit Down. Go there. We have a Facebook page. So uh, check us out on social media. Drop a comment uh, or a suggestion on anything you want to see in future podcasts. We'd love to hear it. So that'll do it for this edition of Syria Sit Down. Remember, next weekend we are on the Play by Play pod with Jerry Mancini and Sabrina Belmonte. We will have our own uh, podcast recapping the Milan Derby. Uh, until then, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. Bam!